Welcome to Androids and Assets. I'm Stephen. And I'm Marshall. And we'd like to welcome you to the show, uh, on which we discuss the political economy of science fiction and all the weirdness that that entails. For those of you who maybe don't know what the term political economy means, it really is just the questions of uh, how is power distributed in a society, how are decisions made, uh, and how does conflict get resolved? So those are the things we're talking about, and we're talking about that in the context of science fiction. Specifically, today we are discussing the soon-to-be-released Finna with author Nino Cipri. Am I saying that right, Cipri? You are saying that oh, right, Oh, very yeah. good. Okay. Aha! <laughs> well, like, Welcome, on the first try. Good job. <laughs> yeah. So uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do? And... Well, thanks for inviting me onto the show. Um, so my name is Nino Cipri. I'm a writer. I have been... Uh, publishing mostly short stories and essays since about 2011, 2012. Um, I have two books out now. One is a collection of short stories. It's called Homesick. Um, and the other one is Finna, which is going to be coming out February 25th from Tor.com Publishing. Um, I mostly write about, I write about queer people, trans people, and the various weird things that happen to them. Um, or the various weird things that they make happen, I guess. That's that's the short answer. It's dialectical. <laughs> you know, I, like, I literally now have a graduate degree and I still don't know what dialectical means. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I also have a grad degree and I don't know what dialectical means. So Okay. Thank you for not making me be the only person on this podcast. <laughs> Well, okay. So, yeah. So, great. Well, and we recently read Finna. We got a we got an advanced release and we were extremely uh thrilled to read it actually. We thought it was it was fun and it was uh, really up our alley in terms of like science fiction kind of negotiating some real world political and social issues. So, um mm-hmm. yeah, it was it's a fun ride. Yeah. Um I guess for listeners, there does contain spoilers for the novella Finna. So, uh, if you really want to be I'm surprised, spoil the hell out of this novella. Yeah. I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> so if if you haven't read it yet and you're like, oh shit, I really want to, you know, go in fresh, uh, turn it off and go read it and then come back. And and if you it's don't want to really, read it yet, like by the time you've heard really all the talk about novella it, too. So like you know, you can get it done in a couple of hours. That's true. I read, yeah, I read it on two bus rides, one to <laughs> one to work, one back. So yeah. I was I was off one day and I just uh, I got up in the morning and I, I started reading the book and uh, a couple of short hours later I was like oh my goodness this book is done and it was amazing uh, just yeah my mom read it and she's a person who reads like the same novel over the course of like a year and a half and it only took her like I think two weeks <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's savoring and it, she right? immediately yelled at me and told me I had to write a sequel. So <laughs> it has it has Mom Cipri's stamp of approval. Excellent, <laughs> fantastic. So yeah, so I guess do you want to do you want to summarize it for us? Should we should we summarize it? How do you want to do this? You know, I'm really interested to hear your summary of it. Okay, actually, right. and also because I hate summarizing my own work. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I understand that. That's legitimate. Um, okay, uh, so ostensibly, it's about uh, two individuals who go on a magical adventure through an interdimensional furniture store. Is that <laughs> similar to an Ikea? Uh, is that a good short summary? I would say, yeah, that is a much more concise summary than I could have done. So oh, good. that's good. Yeah, that's got, that's, that's basically it. Okay. And, and I, I still don't know how to pronounce the name of the furniture store. 
What's it called? Uh, you know, I really should have like checked <laughs> before I started talking about it. Um, I mean, you were just writing it. You don't need to. <laughs> I, I was writing it. I, I you don't need to know how to pronounce it when you write it. So exactly. And I checked like with somebody. Uh, you know, I checked with a Swedish author to be like, does this does this make sense for the name of a store like this? And they were like, oh yeah, absolutely. And then I just never checked on Google. So I'm just gonna say Littenwald. Okay. And I'm so sorry to any Swedish people or people who know Swedish. <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's it is a it's an Americanized store and it's a very it's a story that's very much about like American like work culture. So yeah. I can say that that's part of the that's part of the novel or the novel. I can say that that's part of the story. And I, I think like sort of in the vein of IKEA, mispronouncing the names of these things is is part of the experience mm-hmm. is like yeah. We don't know how to say these things. Uh, yeah, um, which is embarrassing and very, like I said, it's very American of me. But I, yeah, really should have just like looked on Google Translate like two minutes before I got on this podcast. <laughs> well, I, again, you really, really don't. Uh, yeah, it's uh, like you say, it's what people would have called it. It's what the people who worked there would have called it, right? So, uh, I think that's yes, consist- yeah, consistent. Um, yeah, because I think because for, for me, I think centrally what i the main like economic kind of social theme was and uh, as a resident communist as we talked about earlier <laughs> i i thought it was, about, it was about workplace safety in a lot of ways mm-hmm. like here, here are people who are in an extremely unwork safe unsafe work environment and they're asked to do things they're not yeah. comfortable with and they're asked to do things that are extremely dangerous um for virtually no reward <laughs> or um literally no reward yeah. <laughs> like just, it's their hourly wage they don't get overtime or yeah, anything. They, they yeah. there's some mention of gift cards but i don't think those make it back <laughs> oh that's true <laughs> they do get the gift cards no, they use them uh, <laughs> so a lot of the underlying sentiment of this story is very very much based in a lot of my own work experience and a lot of my experience uh, working as a union organizer in various jobs that I've had. Um, I helped organize my first union in, I think it was 2014 uh, for a bike share in Chicago that's called Divi. Um, And one of our major concerns was like, was worker safety. Uh, I remember like in the first couple of weeks, somebody literally almost had their thumb amputated um, just working i think like trying to open a van door and like the ramp malfunctioned and her thumb was in the wrong place at the wrong time and they fixed it i mean like you know she got sent to the emergency room but like that was just like one of many things that happened at the time uh so yeah so worker safety was something that like i thought about a lot uh just the daily grind of working especially in retail where um you know you are trying to convince people to buy things generally that they don't need uh sometimes that they don't even really want um and none of that ever really benefits you in any way you get paid a pretty bad hourly wage if you're very lucky you you eventually get full time especially in the states don't how it works don't know labor laws in canada but if you're eventually granted full time status you'll get some benefits hopefully uh depending on the size of the company and what state you live in. But for the most part, retail really sucks. I think is the kind of like underlying, one of the underlying sentiments of this book for sure. Yeah, for sure. I worked at, uh, at a Best Buy for a while when I was in college. And uh, Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like looking back on it, I, I, like I feel, I don't know, like shamed for it. 
Because there are times where you, you sell things to people or you, you get them to buy like protection on an item that doesn't need it. Like there was a day that I was super excited because I got somebody to buy protection on a karaoke machine and the protection that they bought cost more than the machine did. What? Oh, no. And then I was like, yeah, I did. Why did I do that? Mm-hmm. But like I was super happy that like I'd done this thing and I'd met my met- metrics and and my reward was mm-hmm. that like I got to come back to work the next day. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh I I think I'm kind of like lucky in that almost all of the retail experience that I've had has been in bookstores. Um I'm thinking and I I think it's bookstores and then just a bunch of like other kind of weird jobs. Um, but I remember also, yeah, working at Barnes and Noble, like we were, we had a quota of memberships that I think we were supposed to sell. And it was just like, I was like, I was so happy to sell people books. I could talk about books all day long and I still can't obviously, but like, I was like, what does this membership even do? Okay. Like, okay, I guess it helps people, but it felt weird. I was like trying to convince them to just give me $25 and really it would work out well for them. <laughs> um, I'm, <laughs> I'm a terrible salesperson. <laughs> like, um, and I, I think like as soon as I could, I was, I just begged them to put me in the back room and I was like, can I just please work in like stocking? Like, let me just, just let me unload boxes for the rest of my time here. <laughs> right. So I will be so much happier. <laughs> Uh, that, I, that sounds, that sounds right for, for having read Finna sort of like these people who are uncomfortable sort of with, uh, with seeing these laid out rooms and interacting with customers. And they're sort of like, I don't really like to talk to these people. And I, I don't really like to be in the frontier. Like I'd much rather just be in the back unloading the stuff and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, for the kind of queer, that I like to write uh, like the kind of like queer person that I like to have as characters uh that kind of that kind of job is sort of like antithetical to their existence um and I'm not saying to like everybody's existence but uh I honestly don't know if I would know how to write well maybe I would like write a character that's just like I love my job I love coming to work I can't (laughs) wait for it um but yeah, wait, where was I going with that? I don't actually remember. One of the themes is like there is this antagonism like that I when you talk about like a, a furniture, like a home store, it's selling a lifestyle. It's selling a, a mm. modality of being in your home, a kind of like, a, you know, mm-hmm. like modernist notions. Homes are machines for living in. Well, that machine is built to make people kind of a very heteronormative type of person, you know, um, mm-hmm. that has certain sort of like, you know, pers- gen- gendered likes and, and, and habitus and so on. And that's, yeah. And there, there's a, there's a sense of being alienated from that. Yeah, very much so. Um, I think there's a line somewhere in the story. One of the characters, Jules, says, um, like, everything in that store is part of a set, and I don't fit into any of the sets, and I don't want to. <laughs> um, and that's, that's very much uh, a feeling that I connect to. Um, even when I was like, working I like I worked in a really lovely independent bookstore for I think it's all like a year and a half it was it was like it was still really alienating um partially because I didn't look the way uh a lot of customers kind of like assumed a bookseller should look like um (laughs) because I was there I was 
very obviously clear. They could not understand, like, they did not know how to identify, like, what gender I was. I got a lot of, like, really uncomfortable questions when I was working there. Uh, So, yeah, like, it is, like, I feel like working in retail just is sort of an alienating experience. Um, Even if you're good at it, even if you know that you can do it, it, like, you have to sort of, like, cut off part of yourself in order to be able to do that job. So, and maybe that's not true for everybody, but almost all the people I know who have worked in retail, that is true. Mm -hmm. So, Stephen, you were talking about this being sort of... um... A, a parable almost uh, on on worker safety, um, mm-hmm. and some of that is because so the the store is laid out like your typical IKEA showroom. You, you walk through, and there's different rooms. Um, I particularly like the names that you gave to the rooms of like nihilistic bachelor. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of any others. Right yeah, now. I'm trying to remember Her Majesty's romper room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the little kids. girl's bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh-huh. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a princess. I think there was one that was like a Gen X family with nostalgia. <laughs> there was a there was a line about there being like Tron themed, I think like shower curtains or something like that, and they made me take it out. Oh no! It's do okay. Not, it's do okay. not draw. Do <laughs> not draw Disney's attention. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't a shower curtain. It was a towel rod, and he was like, "That literally makes no sense." And I was like, "No, <laughs> so leave my towel." No, okay. <laughs> I'm not going to fight on that. I'm not going to fight for. The Tron towel rod. Yeah, you can you can hang your towels on a grid. It's fine. Or you know on a on a hook. I, I have never seen Tron. That's okay. everything's grids. <laughs> uh, and so the in the course of the story, uh, there is a a wormhole that opens in in uh, Littenvarld, uh, because the 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 layout of of these stores and the the corners and the whatnot uh, attracts wormholes. Yes. Yeah, uh, there's something about the layout, like the design of this store, that somehow just breaks reality. Yeah, it's just and they're like, they were like, it's such a great design. It just has this really unfortunate side effect, but it's okay. We have you know processes in place to deal with this. But in in sort of like typical big store, you know, cost cutting, profit maximizing ways, uh, <laughs> most of those processes have been shaved away. To where it's now I mean, basically the, like the recession hit everybody, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mostly feel bad for the the uh, the wormhole teams that were laid off. Yeah, uh, and I know. Like, did they just get absorbed back into like the sales team? Yeah. Uh, I have I have like a lot of what? questions about this world, like more than I have answers, and I'm just like, what did happen to those those teams that event like got sent through the wormholes first, like? Did they come back? Is this like, did they all just like find new places and were like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to stay here. This is, this is a little bit preferable to the nine to five work. Um, or like, oh, I just got a better offer from, you know, the, these alien beings, <laughs> three wormholes over. So, so this is, and so now we're drawing into talking about the titular Finna, right? Itself. Like, this, yeah. so what happens is these wormholes keep showing up in these stores and the company devises. A machine to assist with lost customers basically because yeah. losing customers is bad for business oh. mm-hmm. um one of the one of my favorite parts one of the favorite like scenes of the story is probably a very long instructional video that gets shown <laughs> explaining the wormholes and explaining the finna um and the finna is yeah it's a tool uh that you know 
there's some like hand wavy talk about like quantum entanglement that I was just like, uh, oh, I don't have to know any more than like some a like a corporate instructional video would. This is great. Okay, yeah, it's quantum entanglement. Don't worry about it. Um, and it helps you track down uh, not necessarily wormholes, but like people who have been lost in them. Yeah, helps helps really, you navigate like, the wormhole. The problem in the story is that. You know, oh, it's a wormhole. That's not really a big deal. The problem is that a customer has uh, wandered off through one, and that is a liability concern for the company. So that they do have to address. No, yes. not staff. Not, not staff. Not staff. That's well, I mean, yeah, that would just be walking off the job. You know, <laughs> they chose to leave. Yeah. <laughs> they chose to leave. <laughs> Ooh, too real. They understood the risks. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. There's like a lot. <laughs> But, but like this, and, uh, the, the, this novel is just like me venting my spleen after like you know like literally like months and months negotiating union contracts with various large companies or bureaucracies it's i don't have a i don't have a great amount of faith in uh capitalism to save us <laughs> no no absolutely and you should not no yeah. no uh, i particularly liked that the 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 instructional video they they just Fast forward past all of the part that's like, we have a Finna team that's going to come and help you. I'm like, no, you can skip this. Those have all been cut. And mm-hmm. and they didn't even remake the corporate video to remove that section. No. It's just like, no, that would even cost too much money. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it, all of the information is basically the same. There's just this one part. Like, yeah, exactly. Not, you know, that would just be redundant. <laughs> yeah, that, and Well, this, I think part of it then... For me, that was interesting. It's also then this notion of substitutability and interchangeability, like which is kind of mm-hmm. like we think about a business like IKEA, like the the cover of the the cover we the cover we got on our, our advanced copy was like a it was like Allen Keys, which is like the, mm-hmm. you know, the hallmark. And I, I I was really excited for a book about Allen Keys, but I was also very excited to read Finna. Uh, <laughs> once I got I'm over the, the initial disappointment, but I mean the, the <laughs> Allen Keys. The reason I was excited about Allen Keys. Uh, is because they are they are really about this notion of like standardization and interchangeability, mm-hmm. and that and that IKEA yeah. is proved very effective in like shaving down variation and actually like wherever mm-hmm. possible eliminating um, difference <laughs> and sort of hammering out into sort of like smooth interchangeable uh, parts. And so and this is part of what mm-hmm. the Finna does because ultimately the Finna the person they go after dies they're dead. Yep. Spoiler uh, alert. Spoiler. <laughs> I did it in the front. Is, <laughs> you weren't at the beginning. It's fine. <laughs> um, so everybody that I've talked to, not everybody, a lot of people that I've talked to have been really, really excited about uh, one of the things that I've pitched in the story, which is carnivorous furniture. Yes. Um, but yeah, like this sweet old woman, grandmother, lovely person, I'm sure gets eaten by a carnivorous chair i think it's a a wingback chair um in in another world and then yeah like the idea is like oh well that you don't just get to come back now what you have to do is just find a replacement for this person because i mean in infinite litten worlds (laughs) all things are possible and you can find anything uh as long as you know the thing that you want to find is something that we would already offer anyway. And that includes, that includes grandmothers. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is, so yeah, they're, Oh, go ahead. No, no, like that, that, I mean, that, that's about the nature of value, right. And what, and what capitalism yeah. defines as value, right. It's like, is this person of the approximate weight and size and amount of 
selenium. You know, selenium. Good. Okay. This is the same person. Yeah. Um, there's no kind of way to the things that can't be quantized. There's no way to appreciate that variation. And that yeah. was, so that was, I think that, I think that was, that was cool uh, for me mm-hmm. anyway, as a kind of critic. And this is like the, it's like kind of a big capitalism, <laughs> big thing about what capitalism does and how it just kind of flattens mm-hmm. people out of existence. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, the last book that I actually finished is Song for a New Day by Sarah Pinsker. Um, and at the beginning of that novel, there's a character and it's a near future novel who works at something called Super Wally World, um, which is sort of an amalgamation of like all of the biggest like uh, manufacturing and distributing and like retailers. So Amazon, Walmart, all of these things. Um, and the character literally has to place posters around her workspace that says like, you are valued, but replaceable. And that's uh, (laughs) like, that's such a mood. Um, And again, like a really kind of prevailing attitude that I think, uh, yeah, like I've encountered in so many different jobs that I've had, like we value you. We understand that you are an individual, that you have specific needs. We just don't particularly want to meet those needs uh so if you could just not have them that would be great uh we're looking really what we're looking for is like uh this like this other person like who you can pretend to be uh or you can just you know get fired i guess or like continually have like issues at work or all of these things or just you know be really really stressed out at times sorry this is me getting like processing all of my leftover feelings from grad school (laughs) it's very very much like a cog in a machine oh. one of uh like 75 like graduate teaching assistants teaching undergraduate english classes so well thank you for being so vulnerable with us <laughs> <laughs> I, I i appreciate I mean, that i'm not i'm not i'm not really applying to academic jobs so <laughs> i feel like content <laughs> at this point but you know this this is but this is the marxist conception of value right uh you know materials you know the like the it, the value is derived from the socially necessary labor time it takes to produce something, right? And so this is, so this is the thing. So if you want to meet, you're trying to meet that median of socially necessary labor time. And if people, mm-hmm. devi- you want, it's okay if they deviate towards less socially necessary labor time, but if they deviate too far off into more, they become a liability and they need to be swapped out for someone who is more in the mean, right? Mm-hmm. Um, does Annalie Newitz gave a quote for your book, I think about like me, an anti-capitalist, uh, Magical yeah, adventure, magical adventure, yeah. And I think, I think like, like that's uh-huh. the, and that's kind of like, yeah, like this is, I think, kind of like this is, in a Marxian sense, like this is, this is the thing that that I took away anyway. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm not trying to get like, oh, here's what your book is, like, like but this is how. No, I no, that's impacted. fine. Um, this is really interesting. It's really interesting to always hear. Like, I mean, I love hearing anything or like i love hearing people get nerdy about anything it's really (laughs) cool when it's like my book um and it's really awesome to hear things that like they are bringing to the story like i don't know to be honest like i because i went to grad school i can bullshit about marx a little bit um enough to maybe impress uh freshmen like that's that's really about the limit of it um but like on the other hand like what when i was trying to write this novel and like when i was can like trying to think about it um, and trying to understand the journey that the protagonist Ava was taking. It was basically like, you know, first somebody who was like butting up against the walls of like 
their ability to be a perfect worker. And I mean, they're not ever really a perfect worker, but, you know, they do enough to get by because they have to. There's a time, like at one point, you know, Ava is kind of threatened with being fired because she doesn't want to go through the goddamn wormhole. Um, And the first thing she thinks about is her checking account, which doesn't have a lot of money in it. Um, So what I was trying to do is basically like speak to readers who might not have might not have a lot of like understanding about Marx about theory about um you know an understanding of like the proletariat and like uh, production and all of these things but who would be able to follow along this process of you know kind of coming into class consciousness uh and I think you know as a writer my job is generally to like make that personal uh that's something i also had to do as a labor organizer it was like you know i'm not going to talk to you i'm not, I'm not going to talk to you about marx potentially because you don't care <laughs> like, um and you know definitely because i cannot talk about marx like i just i don't have that that knowledge to to do it any justice um but what i can talk to you about is like hey what are your working conditions like what are some things that you know make it hard for you to do your job what are some ways that you think that like your workplace can be improved? Uh, those are the conversations that like people who care about, you know, who care about labor and who care about their fellow coworkers, like those are the conversations that they need to have. Um, so like, I love hearing about production and like capitalist stuff. Uh, so is there a universe in which workers' rights are respected? Hmm. Uh, I mean, Yes. It's not this one. Uh, <laughs> is, is there is there one that the Littenvarld uh, wormhole will connect to? Or is that sort of like um, not possible so, with Littenvarld? So here's the thing. So by the end of the story, you do find out like that Littenvarld has basically like, you know, it's not just that they're uh, an international company in this world that is sort of exploiting workers here, but that they're also they have their fingers in other worlds in ways that I don't really get into because it's a very, very short novella. Uh, But like, you can start to see like that people are sort of trying to pick it apart and fight back a little bit. Um, So uh, yes, I mean, literally like one of the lines in this is like in infinite universes, all things are possible. So yes, there's absolutely a universe where workers' rights are respected, where, you know, people have like, uh, people are able to contribute in the ways that they that are both fulfilling to them and like helpful to society, uh, to their community, to their families, anything. Um, so yes, like I feel like the core of this story is a little bit optimistic, even though it's kind of like fatalistic at the same time. Like, sure, somewhere out there is probably like there is definitely like a utopian universe, and you can get there. <laughs> Am I going to tell you how? Oh, God, no. Hey, <laughs> I, uh, I don't know how to get there myself yet. Yeah, well, I mean, other than organizing, like, that's... Well, yeah. <laughs> so much of organizing is, like, trying to get over this idea that, like, absolutely nothing is worth it. Everything is always going to be shitty. Um, and it's wild because I've seen that in very different ways, like, in, uh, you know, kind of, like, rank-and-file organizing at like a bike share um, with people who are mostly from like uh, working class manufacturing backgrounds and also in grad school where it was a lot of people with, you know, for the most part, not all of them, but like had a certain amount of financial privilege came from like middle class or upper middle class backgrounds. 
who went into grad school with a mindset of like, no, I'm here to suffer because uh, like somehow my suffering is going to be meaningful. It is like it will make everything worth it eventually. And I don't know like exactly like why they thought they had to suffer. I mean, aside from literally like everything in grad school is set up to tell you like, no, this is going to be the hardest time of your life and you're just going to put up with it. Um, yeah, it's so getting over that hump of like that just like deep down nihilism was like one of the first like it's really, really difficult. Um, I remember when I was organizing at Divi, the at one point somebody who like I was like who was an active uh active like union proponent was just like you know what whatever if this wasn't if this doesn't work out I'll just quit and just move on to another job and I'm like that's the problem like your next job will be just as bad yeah (laughs) I'm tired yeah and I think at that point I had literally been in Chicago for three years and worked like five different positions like and just you know dealt with low pay and all of them had my benefits like uh cut or just like always held out of reach and all of them was sexually harassed at all almost all of those things like almost all of those jobs uh so like at one point at some point i just realized like there's not a better job out there uh i'm not going to make my way into some fantastical world i will not i will not open a wormhole into a universe where everything has already been taken care of from for me I have to start making those changes and I have to start fighting for the things that I want here. And it's hard. It kind of sucks, <laughs> but that's, that's really all you have, can do. If I was going to write like a million sequels to Finna, which I mean, I probably could, but I don't know if I want to. Uh, I feel like eventually it's going to get into like, okay, how do I put a union into a retail store that has, you know, multi-dimensional wormholes like and multi-dimensional workers probably that would be really interesting Uh, assertively i imagine (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man can you imagine like trying to organize that oh wow I'm just thinking, like, can you can you uh, open a particular wormhole to a particular place, or is it all sort of like a random event that, like, if you get the wormhole that you need, you can get the union meeting? But oh man, yeah, (laughs) I feel like they would have to set up some kind of remote access to those meetings. (laughs) There's no other way. (laughs) So I I really really loved Finna, Um, and like you said, I thought it was um, it it felt optimistic, Um, even though most of the time it's people sort of like being fairly miserable uh <laughs> well i don't know if we've actually talked about this in the podcast so far but like the two main characters broke up three days before the story starts right so yeah, yeah they're both unhappy super super unhappy and then they're forced into a position where they have to spend a lot of time together mm-hmm. uh, it's very very much like what when they broke up they were like okay we are changing our schedule so we never have to see each other at work again and then somebody calls out sex so that goes out the window. Uh, and then and then they have to travel through wormholes where they're literally the only two people that they know and are often the only two people uh, in any given mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that contributes somewhat to, like, the feelings of, of discomfort and, and being miserable. Uh, but even when they're, you know, at work or in whatever situation they're in, it's it's usually dangerous and it's, um, yeah, like they're they're being attacked or they're, you know on on the verge of dying several times uh mm-hmm. but then yeah the, the the story ends and 
it's super hopeful of like, actually, you know what? We could be friends and I'm going to go rescue my, my coworker. Uh, and, and maybe we can make something better than what we have, which I thought was, yeah. It, so it, mm-hmm. it, it was uplifting as much as the time I was sort of like, wow, these, they're not very happy, but, uh, it is a happy story and it's a fun story. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, I was definitely trying to kind of work through. So a lot of my writing starts from me asking myself questions or like, Hey, I really want to kind of just like figure out how I feel about this. And with the story, aside from, you know, all of the issues about like workers and capitalism and, you know, your safety as a worker, I was really trying to figure out like, you know, in the queer community, particularly like it feels like breakups are very different than they are in like for straight folks like where it's not this like completely clean break but like you're still kind of squished into the same community you still have the same friends you still have the same like places that you go to all of the time because like uh you know (laughs) so much of the rest of the world is sort of actively hostile to you that you kind of have to learn to live with the people that have broken your heart um so i think a lot of the story was like a lot of that misery was like me with definitely tapping into like the, the misery I felt like the last time I got dumped, uh, which was um, a couple of years ago. Um, And just also like the process of like how I have learned to like sort of accept and be friends with like the same people that have, uh, you know, caused me pain, like, and just sort of like learning how to accept that as part of life. Um, And just seeing like, okay, yeah, we really just have to like, burn down our old relationship and we have to figure out you know what how we feel about each other pretty much from scratch like what kind of baggage can we still like do we what kind of baggage are we bringing to the relationship like what can we leave behind definitely mm-hmm. um it was something that was like really important to me to like ground this story in uh like in the story of a relationship as well and and it worked really really well it was great <laughs> thank you <laughs> i i think i'm kind of a sucker for stories about couples like in like not necessarily like romantic couples but like you know people trying i'm i definitely like always want to write about like people trying to sort out their shit and like coming to a better place between the two of them yeah not lovers but comrades <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i want to write that down <laughs> i want to like hold the put that on a t-shirt or something (laughs) you've talked a lot sort of about um what what inspires your writing uh i was wondering if there's like authors or or books or media that sort of help inform how you think about the world um hmm, yeah definitely um it's not so much like media that informs how i think about the world but like media that i feel like is speaking to the same things that i'm interested in or that i'm concerned about um so I mentioned, I did just mention Sarah Pinsker's song for a new day, which I just, I absolutely loved. Um, and I feel like if people are interested in like a lot of the same themes and issues in my book, they'll definitely love Sarah's like all of Sarah's work in general. I think she's a genius. Um, you mentioned Annalie Newitz, who I just, I love the hell out of Annalie Newitz. I love their work. <laughs> um, I love like their journalism. I love their podcast that they have with Charlie Jane Anders, who's another fantastic human and a fantastic writer. Um, in terms of non-books, <laughs> uh, other kinds of media. Oh man. Um, oh wow. I feel like I shoehorn uh 
this one thing into like pretty much every interview or podcast or panel that I ever do. And it's the House of Eternal Return, which is a interactive art exhibit that is in Santa Fe, New Mexico, um, by an art collective that's called Meow Wolf. And it's amazing. It's this like you go in through these two doors and you're confronted with like the facade of a normal like Victorian style house. Um, and you go in and like you start learning about the family that used to live in this house and something happened to this family, some kind of tragedy that literally broke space and time. And from the house, you start going into all of these other worlds. Like you go through the refrigerator into this like weird, like frozen ice planet. You go through, uh, I think you can like go through the washing machine and like find yourself in this like strange underground chamber with like glowing skeletons and things like that. It's wild and it's amazing and it has absolutely blown my mind like the two times that I've been. Um, so it's it's also like, I really love narratives that come in strange shapes. Um, and this is literally a story that is like dispersed across like 20,000 square feet. And it's up to the person, it's, it's up to you as a visitor to figure out the story, to like go through, find all of the clues that have been hidden in like somebody's diary or like on the computer or in like the strange videos that are playing in these other little places. So that is something that I still think about and still talk about like an embarrassing amount of the time. Um, I've also just recently been watching, I feel like I'm so late to this, but I've been watching the expanse, (laughs) which uh, it's so good. Um, I'm sort of annoyed that I didn't watch it for the last like four years or five years or however long it's been on. And I'm so like, I'm too late to have anything like original or interesting to say about it. And I'm only on the second season. Um, But yeah, that is like, for me, I found so much like space opera to sort of like never answer my core questions about like, we're first, why are humans in space? Like what made us decide to like ditch this planet for somewhere else? Like ditch literally like the easiest environment that humanity can live in for like a tin box floating through space like what makes us do that um and of course the answer in the expanse is like money and politics basically what did you thought like what's the tagline on the show the political economy yeah 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 we have we have big yeah. plans for the expanse oh my God. <laughs> okay <laughs> i will i'm very excited to listen to that episode for sure uh, so uh, d- does that cover sort of like recommendations as well? Or are there other things that you were thinking of like, oh no, here's some some specific recommended works that are like... Oh my God, I have so many recommendations. Um, so I can tell you kind of like some of the things that I'm like really, maybe like I'm really looking forward to reading or like to being out in the world. Does that work? That would that would work. Uh, or, or if you have something that's maybe um, like off the beaten track a little bit, something that maybe people wouldn't have heard of before. Okay, wait, I'm going to get the copy of the book down from my shelf so I can actually, like, tell you more about it. Yeah, yeah. One sec. So, this, it's called Scapegracers. Yeah. Um, it's a book that's coming out on May 12th by Hannah Abigail Clark. Um, and it's published by a, a new small press that's called Airwan Books. Um, it was started by Liz Garinsky, who you know one a solid like handful of hugos i believe like uh for uh, her work at tor.com um and it's basically about like 
queer teenage witches. And that's literally all I needed to know about it um, to want to read it. Uh, I think that like, yeah, like as somebody who like wanted to be like, just like everybody in the movie, The Craft, when I was about 12 years old, like I didn't want to be like any particular one of them. I just wanted them all to be my friends. Like, I feel like this book was particularly made for me um and i've just gotten a copy of it it's beautiful i can't wait to read it uh it's well i can wait to read it because i have like nine things ahead of it in like my to be read to be read pile um but i'm really really excited for this uh and i'm just like waiting until i can savor it over the course of like a week um for let's see other kind of off the beaten track things I'm just, I'm literally looking in my, <laughs> in my bookshelf right now. Um, sort of off, off the track for like sci-fi readers. Um, my favorite like mystery and thriller novelist is Tana French. She's a Irish writer. Um, and her latest novel is called The Witch Elm. And if people are interested in like taking a real deep dive into uh, a character who is basically made unreliable, not just because he like, you know, has a traumatic brain injury and like is uh, like having tr- troubles with his memory, um, but just because he's so privileged. He's like of the most privileged upper middle class white man. And he's just sort of like swimming in the sea of like his own good fortune, basically, at the beginning of the novel. Um and then he is attacked. He has a traumatic brain injury uh, and he sort of like has a lot of it taken away from him. Uh, and then he goes back to his family's kind of like ancestral mansion building uh, and they discover a dead body in one of the trees. And now the question is like, who killed the boy that they found in the witch elm? Uh, so it's a really interesting take on like, the like class and gender privilege of an individual and like how that kind of feeds into like uh, their own unreliability as a narrator. And I think it's completely amazing. Um, It sort of like helped me get out of my, uh, my like slump, my post-grad school slump where I just couldn't read anything for pleasure anymore. I just completely forgotten how Um, I think that's like really kind of what I got right now. I can probably like, I could probably come up with like 18 other books and just continue rambling but i think that's like a good i think that's a good place to we'll, stop we'll have to have you back if you're amenable well, to that okay. <laughs> we'll got a few months where next we got something else come come back and, and say tell, tell us more okay okay sure sure <laughs> uh yeah i definitely you can always ask me to come back and tell you all of my johnny come lately opinions about the expanse <laughs> <laughs> that uh that sounds great mm-hmm uh so if uh if people want to follow along um with what you're doing or your work uh how's the best way for them to do that uh probably the best way is unfortunately through twitter um (laughs) uh i'm sorry i have so many mixed feelings about social media right now uh but yeah i'm active on twitter uh at nino cipri it's n-i-n-o-c-i-p-r-i um and then you can also I do also have a newsletter uh, that doesn't so much talk about me as it talks about like all of the books and like nerdy stuff uh, about narrative that I get really excited about. And it's called Cool Story Bro um, because stories are cool, bro. (laughs) Uh, 
So yeah, if you want to sign up for that, I'm pretty sure there's a link that's through. I like I post regularly on Twitter uh, when I make a new newsletter, but if you want to just follow the link, it's coolstorybro.substack.com as well. Uh, and that's where you can find all of my ramblings about like the gothic influences on my favorite movies or uh, like puppetry or what else have I done? Uh interactive narrative in like some of my favorite games like super weird indie games as well awesome that's great well thank you so much for being with us yeah we uh we really appreciate it cool uh, thank you so much for inviting me this has been really fun yeah okay. uh you can find the show uh also on twitter uh we're at asset droid uh and you can find me marshall uh at, at econopoid and i'm at steve droids on twitter that's right so much as it is yeah uh something that is super helpful for us is if you can uh rate uh, and review the show uh on on uh, apple podcasts or on stitcher uh that helps get us out to more audiences uh also if you are you know organizing uh, with your local union just turn us on uh at one of your meetings and just you know definitely <laughs> spread the word of of uh of our show to all of your your uh union friends from the anarcho syndicalists to the xeno communists i couldn't think of (laughs) i couldn't think of another that's nice awesome thanks so much